Hello, it's Tax Credit Tuesday, and I'm Michael Novogratik. Today is Tuesday, May 4th, 2010. This week, I'll discuss proposals in New York and Hawaii that would delay businesses from claiming previously approved state tax credits. These two proposals are just the most recent in a troubling trend of states looking to shrink their budget gaps by temporarily denying businesses the ability to claim state tax credits. Then, I have an announcement related to the federal New Market Tax Credit Program. The City of Fife Fund last week invited resumes from potential application reviewers for the 2010 Allocation Application Round. And finally, I'll share the results of a survey taken in March to gauge public support for wind energy development. Last week, the American Wind Energy Association released the results of a poll that shows that voters overwhelmingly support the increased use of wind power. I will also update listeners on an announcement from HUD, the Department of Housing and Urban Development, regarding the Sustainable Communities Planning Grant Program. And finally, I'll review the Treasury Department's Spring 2010 Unified Agenda. But first, I have breaking news about the low-income housing tax credit. Last week, Union Bank announced the launch of an innovative arrangement with Google to finance affordable housing in California. Yes, with Google. Union Bank's Community Development Finance Division will syndicate and manage approximately $25 million in low-income housing tax credit investments as part of the agreement. Historically, a few large corporations have served as investors, but the vast majority of capital to purchase low-income housing credits has come from banks and other financial institutions. The announcement from Union Bank and Google marks a rare entrance into the low-income housing tax credit market by a company outside of the financial services industry. Union Bank Senior Vice President Annette Billingsley heads Union Bank's Community Development Finance Division. In a statement last week, she said, quote, This announcement is exciting news for our industry, signifying the entrance of a major new investor into the LIHTC market, coming from outside the pool of financial institutions that typically purchase these tax credits. Close quote. Google's LIHTC investments will provide it with tax benefits while advancing the company's mission of corporate social responsibility in the region where it was founded. In its role as a syndicator, Union Bank has originated and will manage for Google two California LIHTC investments. The two projects are Fair Oak Senior Housing and Regency Tower Apartments. Fair Oak Senior Housing will serve 123 low-income seniors, and Google is investing $19 million. The property is located in the San Francisco Bay Area community of Sunnyvale, within eight miles of Google's global headquarters in Mountain View. Union Bank also provided $21.8 million in debt financing. Fair Oaks Seniors is being developed by Mid-Peninsula Housing Coalition, a Bay Area not-for-profit. Mid-Peninsula Housing Coalition Executive Director Matt Franklin said, quote, Mid-Pen is proud to be the recipient of Google's first investment in affordable housing. We hope that their leadership will pave the way for other non-traditional investors to enter the LIHTC market, close quote. Regency Towers Senior Housing is a 104-unit property in the Los Angeles County community of Inglewood. Google is investing $6 million to assist in the purchase and rehabilitation of this property. This announcement by Google and Union Bank will be covered in more detail in the next issue of the Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits. To subscribe to this monthly magazine, simply visit novoco.com products or call us at 415-356-7960. Now, let's get started with news about two proposals to delay investors' ability to claim state business tax credits. 
Last week, on April 27th, New York Governor David Patterson proposed a plan to close a $620 million budget gap that has emerged in his 2010-2011 state budget plan. The gap closing proposals include a provision that would defer the ability of investors to currently claim 50% of their otherwise allowable state tax credits. The 50% deferral would apply to tax years 2010, 2011, and 2012. A draft of the proposed bill specifies that the deferred tax credits could be used or refunded in tax years beginning after January 1, 2013 and before January 1, 2016. Also, the bill would authorize the State Department of Tax and Finance to develop implementing regulations, including rules on the extent to which deferred credits can be used in each future tax year. Governor Patterson's proposal would apply to 29 specified state tax credits, including the investment tax credit, historic tax credits, low-income housing tax credits, green building tax credits, Empire Zone tax credits, Brownville tax credits, and many more. Governor Patterson's projections say this proposal will save $100 million in 2010 and 2011 and $650 million in the fiscal year 2011-2012. A similar state tax credit deferral provision was also introduced and passed recently by the Hawaii State Legislature. Hawaii Senate Bill 2401 would temporarily deny investors the tax credits they were promised when they invested in the state's financial infrastructure. SB 2401 would suspend high-tech tax credits granted under Act Section 221, a vehicle that was responsible for pumping $1.3 billion in private investment into Hawaii, creating thousands of jobs, and advancing regional businesses. In exchange for that investment, Hawaii committed to providing tax credits over five years, as well as the right to carry forward any unused credits until they were fully used. Now, under the bill that was passed by the Hawaii State Legislature, the Senate's looking to defer its commitment. SB 2401 would suspend the ability of taxpayers to claim the state's technology infrastructure renovation and high-technology business investment tax credits. The bill states that these suspended tax credits may be claimed in taxable years beginning in 2013. Unless the bill is vetoed by the governor of Hawaii, it will become law shortly. While passing measures to curtail spending in order to fix state budget shortfalls can be a responsible and effective fix in some cases, both the New York and Hawaii proposals could spell disaster in an economic environment where obtaining financing is already difficult. A state delay or elimination if the ability of an investor to claim an authorized and approved state tax credit will have an immediate and chilling impact on the investor community's willingness to make future investments in that state. That chill could be felt for many years, as investors will lose faith not only in the state, but also in the financial tax system that's supporting it. Delaying the tax credits will also result in a huge price to pay as liabilities balloon, borrowing costs increase, and the state's access to federal tax credit markets is most certainly going to be hampered when the suspension is lifted. Further, defaulting on contractual commitments is never good policy. And at a time when business investment could be central to improving a state's economy, it seems that a furl of state tax credits is the wrong choice. Evidence also suggests that these state tax credits have generated considerable economic activity, resulting in new and retained jobs that are often high-paying and sustainable as well as generating new state and local sales and tax revenues, as well as overall increases in investment. 
To read more about this evidence of economic activity, I invite you to check out my column in this month's issue of the Novogratic Journal of Tax Credits. It's available online at www.novaco.com journal. Now let's switch gears and turn to an update on the 2010 application round for the New Market Tax Credit Program. The Community Development Financial Institutions Fund last week circulated a letter seeking application reviewers for the 2010 allocation round. The letter says that candidates will be considered well-qualified if they possess considerable expertise in community and economic development and finance, and they encompass business and real estate development, have experience financing community-based organizations, have experience in the pooling of community loans for sale to secondary markets, and, and if they have experience in financial counseling, particularly for small businesses. If you're interested in serving as an application reviewer, you can indicate your interest by submitting an electronic version of your resume to nmtcreviewers at cdfi.treas.gov. That's nmtcreviewers at cdfi.tres.gov. Simply write the words NMTC Reviewer in the subject line of your message. The CDFI Fund says that, it's, that resumes must be submitted by June 4th in order to ensure consideration for the 2010 NMTC Review Session. Even if you were a past reviewer or are currently a reviewer for another CDFI program, you still need to submit your resume. Additional details about applying and serving as a reviewer are available in an NMTC application reviewer letter that was released by the CDFI Fund. That letter is available online at www.newmarketscredits.com. Questions about the NMTC program, more further, and particularly about the upcoming application due date, contact my partner, Owen Gray, at 415-356-8000, or my partner, John Shreddy, at 330-602-4600. The 2010 allocation round and other hot topics will be discussed at Novogratz and Company's 9th Annual New Market Tax Credit Spring Conference that will be held in Washington, D.C. on June 10th and June 11th. The conference will be one week after the applications themselves are due for this 2010 application round. Speaking about the New Market Tax Credit, I do have a preview of a case study on the New Market Tax Credit that's going to be presented in an upcoming issue of the Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits. Self-Help is a community development financial institution and a New Market Tax Credit allocatee. They released recently a report that describes the impacts of the New Market Tax Credit on downtown Durham, North Carolina. In the first four years of the New Market Tax Credit program, Durham has received more New Market Tax Credit investment on a per capita basis than any other city in the nation. Self-Help reports that this investment helped revive a downtown that had been waning since the early 1960s. By the time the New Market Tax Credit was created, nearly all of the census tracts in downtown Durham met the eligibility criteria for targeted distress, including a poverty rate over 30%, median family income less than 60%, and an unemployment rate more than twice the national level. In 2004, New Market's tax credit allocatee, Self-Help, worked with Capital Broadcasting to recruit investors for the redevelopment of the American Tobacco Complex. They provided a $40 million permanent NMTC loan to launch Phase 1 of the complex. Several other NMTC allocatees supported Phase 2 of the redevelopment over the next three years. 
Self-help reports that the rehabilitation of American tobacco accelerated the pace of change and opened up the investment landscape in downtown Durham. Beyond the catalytic effect of the redevelopment of the American tobacco complex, Durham benefited from 19 new markets tax credit investments made by eight different financial institutions. These investments totaled more than $140 million between 2003 and 2006. Downtown Durham alone received more than 90% of this investment, or about $127 million. Self-help says this case study of NMTC impacts in downtown Durham shows that the tax credit can create, and has created, catalytic impact in previously disinvested low-income communities. In particular, this data argues the importance of federal programs that exhibit the key characteristics of the New Market Tax Credit Program, including a requirement for private investment and flexibility in structuring project financing. You can read more about the case study and the impact of the New Market Tax Credit in the Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits. Let's turn now to renewable energy news and the results of a recent poll regarding voter support for wind energy. The American Wind Energy Association reported last month that voters overwhelmingly support increasing the use of wind power in the U.S. and in adopting a strong renewable electricity standard. The association says that 89%, an overwhelming bipartisan majority of American voters, believe that increasing the amount of energy that the nation gets from wind is a good idea. Additionally, 67% of voters believe that Congress is not doing enough to increase renewable energy sources such as wind. Further, 82% believe the nation's economy would be stronger or the same if we used more renewable energy sources like wind. And 77% of those polled said they support a national renewable electricity standard. The poll was conducted on March 27th and 28th of this year and sampled a national survey of 600 likely voters. More information about the poll and its results can be found online at www.awea.org. Next, I'd like to alert listeners to an update on federal guidance that may be available in the coming months. But first, some background. The Regulatory Information Service Center compiles the semi-annual Unified Agenda of Federal Regulatory and Deregulatory Actions for the Office of Management and Budget's Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs. This Information Service Center provides information about federal regulatory and deregulatory activities, and it provides this information to the President and his Executive Office, to Congress, to agency managers, and to the public. It also maintains the reginfo.gov, regulationinformation.gov, website, which is a public resource for information about federal regulations. One of the resources provided on the site is what's called the Unified Agenda. This Unified Agenda is published every spring and every fall, and the agenda provides reporting of data on regulatory and deregulatory activities throughout the federal government. It covers approximately 60 departments, agencies, and commissions. Each edition of the Unified Agenda includes regulatory agendas from all federal entities that currently have regulations under development or review. All of that brings us to today's news. The 2010 Spring Agenda was published last week on April 26th. It includes several projects of interest to the tax credit community. Several of these items will likely sound familiar to our regular listeners because they are also included in the Treasury Department's Priority Guidance Plan that we've discussed in previous podcasts. First, the agenda shows a final rule was issued on April 1st 
that amended the Treasury Department's policy regarding the time limitation within which state housing agencies must disperse funds under Section 1602 of Division B of the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act of 2009. The change allows states to disperse Section 1602 grant funds to subawardees through December 31, 2011 under certain conditions. The Unified Agenda also lists a rulemaking project for regulations to address how Section 45D, the New Market Tax Credit, should be allocated among partners of a partnership under Section 704B of the Internal Revenue Code. The rule says it will address related partnership issues as well. According to the agenda, the Notice of Proposed Rulemaking is scheduled to be released or finished this June. Two other New Market Tax Credit rules are scheduled to be finalized in June as well. According to the agenda, the Treasury Department will take final action on regulations that provide guidance on, on, under the New Market Tax Credit as to how an entity meets the requirements to be a qualified active long-term community business when its activities involve target populations. In addition, the agenda lists amendments, more general amendments, to the New Market Tax Credit regulations that are in their final stage and are also scheduled for action by June 2010. On the loan housing tax credit side, action is expended on amendments to the general public use requirements in the loan housing tax credit program. There, a notice of proposed rulemaking is also scheduled for release in June. You can access this list at www.reginfo.gov. That's www.redinfo.gov. The Unified Agenda and Regulatory Plan include links to detailed information about each rule project. One final topic for today is an announcement from the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, HUD, regarding the Sustainable Communities Program. Last month, HUD announced the opportunity to register online for the Sustainable Communities Planning Grant Program. The registration notice provides important information to assist applicants for Sustainable Community Planning Grants. It allows them to better understand the registration electronic submission process. To submit an application online, go to grants.gov. New users are required to complete a five-step registration process, which can take two to four weeks to complete. HUD's registration notice explains each step so that applicants can be prepared to submit an application once HUD publishes the actual Notice of Funding Availability, or NOFA, for the Sustainable Communities Planning Grant. The registration notice also requests that potential applicants for the grant notify HUD of their intent to submit an application no later than May 14th. That's less than two weeks away. HUD says that this information will help them assess the workload that, that they should anticipate during the review process so they can plan accordingly. If you have questions about the Sustainable Communities Planning Grant Program, I invite you to contact my partner, Susan Wilson, in our Austin, Texas office. She can be reached by phone at 512-340-0420 or send her an email, susan.wilson, W-I-L-S-O-N, at novoco.com. Novograd & Company, as many of our listeners know, offers new and experienced developers a broad range of professional services to assist in the challenges within the HUD multifamily housing arena. Our HUD team is dedicated to developing and implementing creative solutions to the everyday difficulties with HUD's financial compliance requirements. Also, our firm's experience in the HUD multifamily housing industry includes a range of services in connection with combining HUD financing with tax credits as well as ongoing financial compliance of HUD properties.
whether you own, manage, or develop HUD projects, we can help you. Just give us a call or send us an email. I suggest you start with Susan Wilson in our Texas office at susan.wilson at novaco.com or use our firm-wide email address, cpas at novaco.com. Before I wrap up today's podcast, I'd like to review what's coming up on the tax credit calendar. Next week, I travel to New Orleans to join my colleagues for a conference entitled Working with LIHTCs in an ARA World. The event will be held on May 13th and 14th. I encourage you to join us to learn about the new conditions, new expectations, and new rules in the world of low-income housing tax credit development when you're combining credit exchange, low-income housing tax credits, and TCAP funds. We'll also present a special pre-conference workshop on Wednesday, May 12th about the basics of LIHTC investing. You can learn how to invest effectively and efficiently and ensure you get the most out of your investment. This investor's workshop runs parallel with our Tax Credit Basics workshop. We encourage you to come join us at our conference in New Orleans next Thursday and Friday. We also encourage you to come a day early on Wednesday so you can participate in one of our two workshops. In just over three weeks, on May 26th, the Bipartisan National Commission on Fiscal Responsibility and Reform is going to hold its next meeting. The meeting will be streamed live online at whitehouse.gov. live. The National Commission on Fiscal Responsibility and Reform was created to address our nation's fiscal challenges. The commission is charged with identifying policies to improve the fiscal situation in the medium term and to achieve fiscal sustainability over the long run. Specifically, the commission is supposed to propose recommendations that are designed to balance the budget, excluding interest payments on the national debt, by 2015. Last month, the Commission announced the launch of its official website, www.fiscalcommission.gov. The site will provide access to information about the Commission, including videos, testimonies, news releases, and announcements, as well as give the public an opportunity to submit ideas and suggestions on how to address the nation's long-term fiscal challenge. The website came on the heels of the Commission's inaugural meeting. After meeting with President Obama to discuss the scope of the nation's fiscal challenges, the Commission heard testimony from Federal Reserve Chairman Ben Bernanke, OMB Director Peter Orzog, and former CBO Directors Rudolf Penner and Robert Reichauer. As mentioned a moment ago, the Commission will make its monthly public meetings available via live webcast through www.whitehouse.gov. All meeting videos will be archived online at www.fiscalcommission.gov. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Please join me again next Tuesday when I'll discuss the latest status of the extenders bill that's being negotiated in Congress. The bill, H.R. 4213, contains a one-year extension of the Housing Credit Exchange Program as well as a one-year extension of the New Market Tax Credit. Next week, I'll also describe bipartisan energy legislation that's been introduced by Representatives Allison Schwartz of Pennsylvania, Mark Schauer of Michigan, and Brian Brilbray of California. The bill would provide a 30% investment tax credit for biorefineries in order to incentivize investment in algae and other plant-based fuels. Supporters of the measure say it will give the biofuel industry the same treatment that other renewable energy sectors such as wind and solar already receive. The bill would also extend the production tax credit until the year 2016. This is Michael Novogratik. 
and I'll be back next Tuesday. Thanks for listening. Music.